Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel had some concerns and he, maybe he was thinking about getting out of the king-making business. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to anoint another person, Lord. This one didn't go so well. You, what do you want me to do now? I've got another man. Fill the horn with oil. We're going to try this again. I'm not so sure. Ever been there before? Lord, I'm 0 for 1 <laughs> with this king stuff. But this is my man. And Samuel said to him, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Now Samuel's had a level of authority over Saul this whole time. Uh, Saul seems to be afraid of Samuel. But Samuel's learned something about Saul. It's going to come out in the rest of the book. And Saul is, doesn't take well to uh, being upstaged. And he's certainly going to be chasing David around for the next couple of decades, right? So Samuel's learned something about him. And he knows that he still has kingly authority. And he's got an army at his beck and call. And he says, look, he's got to be watching me. I just told him that the kingdom's torn. And there's somebody better than him that's going to take the throne. Don't you think he's probably got people parked on my street? <laughs> just seeing where I'm going to go? Hidden cameras. I mean, I'm a dead man. I can't go anoint somebody now. This guy's nervous. He's, he's already been told from my lips that he's done. And you want me to do what now? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer. This is literally a young cow or a young female of the cattle with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel is reluctant. We can understand why. And he is not sure that he wants to do this, but the Lord tells him, take, I want you to take a heifer. And I want you to invite, verse 3, Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Now, God does not tell Samuel who he is. He just says, I'm going to tell you when you get there. And I want you to trust me. And I want you to take the sacrifice with you. And I want you to go. And the walk of faith, brothers and sisters, is a walk of trust. Oftentimes, and think about this for a seer, a prophet is literally a seer, one who sees prophecy. But this time, what does God tell the seer? I'm not going to tell you until I point him out in the lineup at that moment. You're going to have to just trust me and be almost a little uncomfortable and a little embarrassed because I'm not going to identify him until the moment comes. I have noticed, I'm sure you have as well, that for the Christian, the walk of faith is very much that way. <laughs> I wish God would give me all the information up front, but I'm just like you. He rarely does. He'll ask me to take steps of faith and just trust him with the rest. And so he is never late, but rarely early in my cases. And so he says, I'll show you what you should do. Now, is the heifer just kind of some sort of cover-up? I don't think so. God always has his reasons. In Leviticus 3.1, a heifer is acceptable as a peace offering. But there's something else. I want you to look at Deuteronomy 21 for a second. Deuteronomy 21. And this, this will answer potentially a question that comes up. Because the elders of the city of Bethlehem, when Samuel arrives, they get nervous. And they ask him, have you come in peace? Deuteronomy 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 21. I'll show you something about this heifer and the elders of the city, and you can keep this in mind as we move ahead. So it's Deuteronomy 21, 1. It says, If a slain person is found lying in the open country, in the land which the Lord, the Lord your God gives you to possess, and it is not known who has struck him. So this is a dead body lying there, and they don't know who's done this. Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. 21.3. And it shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, that is, the elders of that city, shall take a heifer of the Lord which has not been worked and which is not pulled in a yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water which has not been plowed or sown and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to serve him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. And all the elders of the city, which is nearest to the slain man, shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. So they're claiming innocence. Now the sacrifice is there, and they're saying, okay, we don't know who killed this person, but we can tell you this. We're washing our hands of this, almost like Pilate did of Jesus, because we, we didn't do it, and we didn't see it. And then they are to cry, forgive thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of thy people Israel, and the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them, so you shall remove the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right, this is key, in the eyes of the Lord. And so there's something about a heifer and, and what's occurred here and even pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus for all the innocent blood that sadly we have shed in our country. If you want to read more on this, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact chapter in Ezekiel, but Ezekiel says a lot about how innocent blood that shed stains a land. And God takes that very seriously. And there was a provision, there was a sacrifice for um, somebody who had been killed and they didn't know who it, who it was that had done it. Back to 1 Samuel 20, excuse me, 16. Uh, look at verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. 1 Samuel 16, 4. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? Now they, they see a heifer, which he's been instructed to take. This guy's got a reputation of having power and authority. And maybe the elders of the city, maybe this is what's going on here is they're looking at each other saying, did somebody die? Was there a reported incident here that nobody, you know, we haven't heard about what's going on here. Maybe that's part of what's happening. And they ask him, do you come in peace? And he said, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So they took the prophet seriously. And he says to them, verse 5, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So here comes the prophet. He comes into town. He's coming in shalom. He's coming in peace. Very significant moment for this city. And uh, they don't know how significant this moment is, do they? Because Bethlehem is going to become such a centerpiece for how the Bible is going to unfold with the Messiah. They could have not have really known what significant moment in history 
and in the history of the nation is, but he says he calls for consecration here. What is consecration? Well, consecration uh, for the Jew would typically mean something like this. Wash your clothes, take a bath. In some cases, in Exodus, I think it's chapter 19, and Joshua chapter 3, it's don't get near a dead body. Even intimacy in marriage was put on hold for a time. Sometimes there was a three-day period, and it was a time of consecration to get ready to meet God who was about to do a supernatural work. In Exodus, it's, he's about to come down on Sinai and give the law. In Joshua, he's about to part the Jordan so that they can go into the promised land. And sometimes when there's a moment where there's a big faith occurrence in your life, God will call for a time of consecration. As a Christian, you're not forced to fast, right? You have the freedom to fast when you want to, and your prayer life is pretty much up to you. But in big moments of your life, maybe forks in the road, maybe when you're trying to make a big decision, it's good to do some extra time of consecration. Maybe that means that you need to give something up so you can hear from the Lord better. You know, it, it, maybe it's something where you're going you're gonna to push down something that you normally do and elevate the things of the Spirit. Instead of eating lunch on Friday, you're going to read your Bible during that whole time. Whatever it might be, there's, there's no mandate here. But that's the idea of consecration. It's to be set apart unto God. The word consecrate is actually a word that means holy. Kadosh is the word, and it means to make or announce clean, to set apart. It can speak of a holy place, and from the Hebrew picture language, it means that's that which follows the threshing. What is left over after the threshing is good and valuable. It's the separating of the wheat and the chaff. And sometimes at key moments in your life, you want to do something like this. You want to say, God, I'm going to get rid of some extra chaff because I really believe this is a crucial moment for you to speak into my life about what I'm to do, what my direction ought to be. And so there's a way that you can set yourself apart or sanctify yourself. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's 2 Corinthians 7, 1. And in 2 Timothy 2, 21 and 22, Paul writes, Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, that means set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so there's a time of consecration, and it would appear that Samuel watches over this time of consecration for the sons of Jesse, and he makes sure that things are done correctly and properly. But there is something interesting that jumped out at me when I was studying this week, and it's simply this. David was not consecrated. When all the sons pass before the prophet and none of them are the king, Samuel says, uh, you got anybody else? <laughs> Any other kids? Oh yeah, there's the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. He was not part of that consecration ceremony, but it didn't matter because God had already set him apart. Amen? God's purposes will be done. See, there's a, there's a greater consecration than just giving something up. 
There's a lot of religious people that during certain weeks and months of the year, they do things. And maybe they have the right heart, maybe they don't. But look, consecration is much deeper than just giving up food or something else. Consecration is about a life dedicated to God. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it, what? For the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And so, uh, I'm not sure where they are. I don't know if there's a sanctuary in Bethlehem where this sacrifice takes place or there's some sort of meeting place, a home. But notice it came about, this is verse 6, when they entered, that he looked, the Hebrew word is ra'ah, at Eliab and thought, surely the, the Lord's anointed is before him. Now why, so automatically now, the sons start to pass, right? And uh, Jesse's got a notion that something's going on with his kids, right? I want your kids to be at this thing, okay, you know, I don't know what other talk's gone on, but the firstborn Eliah begins to pass by. And right away, Samuel, and he, has, he doesn't know who it is yet, but he thinks this has got to be the guy. Why does he think that? Well, if you look at verse 7, it says that he had looked at his appearance in the height of his stature. But wait a minute. <laughs> Didn't he learn the lesson from Saul? Saul was the best looking dude around and he was head and shoulders above everybody else. But he was the wrong choice. And Jesus in John 7.24 says, don't judge by just mere appearances, but make John 7.24 a righteous judgment. The Bible doesn't say not to judge. It just says don't judge hypocritically. Take the log out of your eye before you look for the speck in your brother's eye, amen? And it says, don't judge by mere appearances, but make, John 7, 24, a right judgment. You make judgments every single day. The whole uh, don't judge me, brother or sister, is just a facade. It's, just, it's not true to what Scripture says. Scripture just warns not to judge hypocritically, not to judge with a log in your own eye, and not to judge just by mere appearances. But you have to make judgments every day. In fact, you're commanded to make righteous judgments about your friends, about what you're going to do on Wednesday night, and you have chosen the better part. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen? Amen. About who you're going to marry, where you're going to eat. Some of you take huge steps of faith every day by where you eat. But, you know, if, you've made, if you live, then you've made a righteous judgment. Anyway, <laughs> so Eliab's name means my God is Father. And Samuel, here's key uh, phrase here. He looked on, literally he saw Eliab and he thought, oh, surely this is the one. He's tall, he's good looking. This is certainly the man God desires to anoint, but he wasn't. You see, sometimes our perception of leadership is if they're tall, actually, that's not a requirement. Shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be a consideration. That's why they make platforms right here. Never mind, I strike that from the record, would you? We can say, well, the, the person's good looking or they can speak well. Think about your Bible. How many times did God choose those people? He chose the unexpected, the, the people that nobody thought would be the one, the, the people that were surprised that God would, would even uh, select them. 
I've told people over the years that, you know, people sometimes, they'll come to a pastor and they'll say, oh, pastor, I feel so inadequate to do what I believe God's calling me to do. And I finally, well, one of the first things I say to them is, good, good. That's actually the first requirement for ministry is to feel inadequate. Now, you don't want to walk around like, oh, for years, you know. But if you can remain with a healthy um, amount of inadequacy, you will rely on God more. And I think that's sometimes why he picks who he picks because he knows if he picks people who think they've got it all together, then maybe they won't be as reliant upon him. Eliab is something of a new Saul so that in Eliab's rejection, Samuel can see that he's not seeing things the way God has told him to see. He's going to repeat a pattern. He's already made a mistake. And even though God had pointed out that Saul was the one, God's saying, no, you've got to change your your view. But the Lord said to Samuel 7, do not look at his appearance or the height at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. You see, God gave Samuel a new perspective. It was time for Samuel to see as God sees, and that is one of the main underlying applications of this chapter is that God is trying to teach us to see how he sees. He does not judge by mere appearance. My way of seeing, one way to render this, is not like man's way of seeing, or literally, I am not as man sees. God's point of view in the end is all that really matters. Would you agree? I mean, I can give you my point of view. Somebody else can make a clever argument for their point of view, We're arguing moral issues in the culture. There's debates. You hear one argument, you say, that sounds good, and then somebody else makes a strong argument, and you go, wow, that's compelling. Sometimes it's filled with emotion. Sometimes it's filled with feelings. Sometimes it's filled with medical research. But in the end, as a Christian, how can you ferret through all this stuff? It's very simple. You've got to see what God sees. That, in the end, is all that really matters. Because we're all going to take our debates to the grave, and God's going to give the final answer. And the church, sometimes I think, is a little more beholden to the winds of culture than to what God's word says. And so God is the one who sees the heart. He sees into the heart that can make you very uncomfortable, or it can give you some great uh, delight. He doesn't look at appearance or height, praise God. He looks at the heart. If you look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, when it talks about the qualifications for elders, it, uh, just about every qualification is about character. The elder must be able to teach and refute those who uh, do not have sound doctrine, but other than that, every other characteristic is about character. It's about how you behave, how you act. So this is God's qualification. God cares about your heart. Look at verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Now, I don't know 
if Samuel was talking to himself for a while or if he's making announcements as they pass by, but he seems to be getting on God's plane. Do you know how sometimes that happens? Like for a while, you just don't see things God's way and, and then you see one issue God's way and then you go, oh, that makes sense. And now you're just kind of flowing with the Lord. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's how you see. That's how God works. Sometimes things seem so strange to us, but we get on God's page and we understand. He says, well, it's not this one. And next, Jesse made Shema. The Hebrew Shema is that famous prayer. And his name may, may mean to hear. He made Shema pass by. And, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. <laughs> I mean, the first three, you'd think, well, it's the eldest son will be chosen, right? No. Here's the second born. He comes by. No. If you look at uh, chapter 17 for a second, look at verse 13. You can see that these are the first three in the family. Uh, 17, 13. And the three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. The names of the first three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the second to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And uh, you'll notice it says in verse 14 that David was the youngest. So the first three passed by, nope, nope, nope. And um, they keep on passing by. In fact, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. None of them are his choice. Interestingly enough, if you look at the three names of the sons that pass by, their names in order are God is my father, Eliab. He is noble, or God is noble, is uh, Abinadab. And Shema is he hears. And if you put the three names together, it's something like this. God is my father. He is noble and he hears. Interesting. And so the seven sons. Seven is an interesting word in the uh, number in the Bible. In fact, there's a, a parallel scripture that says that David was the seventh and not the eighth. There's a little debate among scholars. Was he the seventh or the eighth? And we can go back and forth, but some think that there's some language in here that the ancients saw a connection between the seventh and the eighth. And it would be interesting if David was the seventh because seven is the number of completion or perfection. Uh, I have the scripture in my notes. If I, if I come across to it, I, I'll give it to you. But Samuel's saying as God sees. So Samuel said to Jesse, verse 11, are these all the children? And he said, it's almost like an afterthought. Well, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. I don't know if that means we're not moving on from this place or if it means we're not going to eat. They may be all waiting to have a feast. Isn't it annoying when you have to wait for somebody? Everybody else is ready. Where is so-and-so? He's on his computer. (laughs) Well, tell him to hurry up or we're going to eat without him. The youngest. There's David in Bethlehem, overlooked by man, but not by God, watching over the sheep. And there were shepherds watching over their flocks by night. And when the announcement came that this great one, this great king had been born in this city, it was an announcement made to shepherds. And so um, he says, well, go get, go get this little this youngest one. I don't know how young David is at this point, but 
The implication is he's a pretty young guy, maybe an early teenager. And Jesse, dad says something like this, ah, oh yes, there's one more, he's the littlest guy. Maybe dad thought something like this, but surely he can't be the one. Maybe we need to ha- let him pass by. Let, let's let the other sons pass by again. Maybe, maybe you're missing something, prophet. No. God had the one in mind. He was already consecrated before this lineup occurred. God has a plan for your life. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio today. Excited that you've joined us. Tell a friend about the program you're hearing here. And please keep us in prayer. We have some uh, exciting open doors for new radio stations. We have some exciting opportunities for some new time slots. And we could really use your prayer and your support. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Living Truth Radio, we'd deeply appreciate it. It takes funds to be on the radio, and we're not a huge congregation, and we appreciate the support that we get from radio listeners. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you don't have a home fellowship, you're not connected with a local church, we'd love to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. The radio ministry that you hear Monday through Friday on your station or on the weekend is really just a extension of the normal pulpit ministry in the life of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And for those of you who are out of state or out of our area, we consider you family members as well. Uh, Living Truth certainly doesn't replace your local church, but we know you listen and we know you're praying for us and we appreciate it. Thank you for the support that you give to us, the encouragement, the emails that you send. We, we deeply appreciate it. And we know that even when you don't send an email, that you are still part of what's going on and part of the listening family. And we, we appreciate you and we look forward to interacting with you again. If we can be of any help to you, send us an email or a message through the website livingtruthcorona.org or you can call us Monday through Friday we're here 9 to 5 Pacific time at 951-735-2856 God bless you thank you for listening and we'll catch up to you next time Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.